Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We just get in the room and slap our puds for an hour. Talk about whatever's going on on TV. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Since 2013, the staff at Overdue Review have written opinions on hundreds of movies, TV shows, and albums. To see which titles have been given perfect grades, click to the Five Star Club page at OverdueReview.com. Overdue Review. Better late. Hello again, my friend, and welcome to the Stream Police Podcast, brought to you by your friends at OverdueReview.com. I'm Clint Davis, Movies and TV Editor, over there at the website. And how about this? Joining me right in the room. Oh, this is big. <laughs> this, this, this is big. The one and only Andy Sedlak, our music editor over at the website. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Great to be with. Uh, great to be with you. For Christ's sake, we're doing it. We're doing this thing together. Finally, God, we talk about it all the time. How many shows have we done? Fifty some odd shows. <laughs> hundred twenty, I think. Last I checked. <laughs> yeah. We're zooming along, man. But yeah, we we haven't. Uh, the two of us haven't been in a room with two mics for a long time. But you know, I mean, we we started back in our old college radio days, sitting in the same studio together. It's, it's how we met. So. Uh, for anyone wondering about the origin story of the Stream Police, that's right. Uh, we're kind of in our natural element right now. That's right. And this is the grand style to yeah. do it. To do you know to do this with both of us in the room. This is you know I, I think originally when we started talking about it, th- this is sort of what we pictured. It was for me, anyways. Right. Yeah, it's exactly what I imagined. So we're recording the way we're able to do this. We're not in my closet. We're not in Andy's basement. We're actually recording uh, to you at the uh, Cincinnati Public Library in lovely downtown Cincinnati. They've got this like nice little recording studio they built, and hardly anybody's using it. So I was like, you know what? Let's take the stream police on the road. Let's take it to the library. We're in our natural element. We're surrounded by records. We're surrounded by books. We're surrounded by films. We're. I mean, this is really where we probably should be. Yeah, I would say yeah, absolutely. It speaks to us, and, it, and 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 best of all, there's nobody here. Exactly, it's, it's very quiet in the library, oh, but God. we're probably disrupting anyone who's trying to get their uh, like summer reading done. <laughs> I think we're we're probably ruining that for them, but wouldn't be the first time, right? Right. I guess that won't be the last time. So yeah, it, we're at the library, and uh, I just wanted to mention that the the library for me, like. I always spent a lot of time at the library when I was a kid, and I wasn't necessarily going to get books, but that was really where I was able to go and get a bunch of movies. So I always credit the library with being like how I I saw as many movies as I did when I was in high school. 
because my grandmother would take me to the library and I I just it, it I didn't understand it. It was like we could take home a stack of like eight movies without paying a dollar for it, you know. And they had this great selection even at the old Trenton Library, which was where you know I used to go when I was a kid. They had a pretty good selection of movies, and it was like ones you wouldn't find at the video store. So I've always kept that up. I come to the library probably once every two weeks to get movies. But yeah, when I was in high school, I mean, if you're now you've got Netflix and stuff. I'm kind of like dating myself, I guess. But even for like for kids now, I mean, it's a really cool place to go if you want to see movies, especially like documentaries or you want to watch like Criterion movies or just like older films. They have like basically every old film you could think of, 1970s and before. Pretty much your library probably has it. So um, the first time I ever watched The Thin Blue Line was a copy I ran from the library. The Celluloid Closet, that was from the library. I would have never seen those movies. Like they would have never had them at primetime video. Uh, in Trenton on State Street, so <laughs> probably not. Though I, so. I could probably count the number of times that I've been in a library that wasn't a school library on one hand. So you were not a big library. I was guy. not a library guy. I spent right. now look. I spent a lot of time in the in the uh, uh, movie rental store, movie yeah. gallery on uh, Pickaway Street in, in <laughs> Circleville, Ohio. Spent a lot of. They knew me in there. I can tell you that. Uh, but um, but yeah, I, mean, I just never never did the library thing. I don't know. There was something about it where it was a little. I, I, I think perception is reality, and I perceive yeah. the library as this weird doll place, and I don't want to go there. Yeah, well, I could see that, but I, I never had that. I guess it was just because I started going there at a young age, and I just loved the selection. The selection is just incredible. Yeah, and especially like in Cincinnati, it's a big library system. They've got like ten libraries, so. If you like, if they don't have the movie at the whatever library you go to, you can just order it to the one you go to, and you go pick it up. And like I said, it's free, man. And you can, you know, basically watch any movie you could ever think of that came out, especially before like 1980. Yeah, well, and which is really, I mean, let's face it, is when most of the great movies came out. Yeah. Um. At the at the end of the day, free is free. It's free. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you you pay for it in taxes, so I mean, it's like it, it's you might as well use it. So it's I, I'm a big fan of the library, so I think it's really cool that we're here. Uh, able to record the show here as well. So we're putting our tax dollars to good use here, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we, we ask. Yeah, exactly. that's, all, that's all any of us can ask. Come on, how can, how can you ask for more? And, and since we're in Cincinnati, I wanted to honor the Queen City with my selection for this week's greatest TV show theme song of all time. And I want to take us back to the golden age of TV theme songs, 1978. All right, you with me? 1978. <laughs> I know it's a, a year that's near and dear to your heart. It Andy. is. This week's theme song is the insanely catchy WKRP in Cincinnati main theme <laughs> yeah. from the sitcom WKRP yeah. in Cincinnati. Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Baby, if you've ever wondered, wondered whatever became of me. I'm living on the air in Cincinnati. Cincinnati WKRP. So WKRP in Cincinnati was a show about this low-rated, family-owned radio station in Cincinnati, and the staff of oddballs who worked there and the people who ran it. And, and it really—if you have spent any time in radio, yeah, oddball is that—that that it sort of begins and ends there. Oh yeah, and they I, and they nailed it. And did you ever did you ever watch, get to watch WKRP back in the day? No, in fact, it's it's funny you you bring it up. My father in law told me like last week. He says, you know, a show you ought to watch because he knows I you know I like music and movies and you know TV and all that stuff. And he says WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah, and I said really. I mean, I, to be honest with you, uh, it is not. I know it was like this beloved show, but I personally 
never really i don't think i it, it just i i never really our paths never crossed for whatever the only th- reason i was able to watch any of it and i think i've seen probably 10 episodes total in my life was because they aired it on nick at night for and this is why i i feel like our generation has seen many of the old shows oh my seen. god yeah if yeah. nick at night had yeah. it, we got to see it. yeah and if they didn't have it i mean like i said we didn't have netflix right the shows were not on dvd back then right so you had to count on nick at night to have it so they had WKRP on. I thought it was cool because it was in Cincinnati and I knew the city and I was a little kid and I always thought radio was very cool, but uh, it, it was just, it was a neat show and it's an interesting show because like you said, it was beloved, but it only ran for four seasons. So it's not like one of these, it's not like MASH where it was on for like 11 years or something. Right. It didn't have some record breaking run, but it had these great character names. It had a guy named Venus Flytrap who was like an afternoon DJ and he was as cool as you could be. It had another DJ called Dr. Johnny Fever. And I mean, these these were like the names of the characters on the show. And, and I think there's something about the fact that the show was on at a time when, when FM radio was such a prominent uh, uh, medium. Yeah. And it was, it was, and FM radio was at its coolest. Yeah, exactly. The coolest it would right. ever be. I mean, it's so commercial now, but back then it was still, you could have these little renegade radio stations right. and a, a cast of oddballs. And, still kind of that, what, I mean, almost like an outlaw philosophy with, yeah. with, with FM radio when it started. Yeah. And the, the setting of the show, since it was set in a radio station, allowed for popular music to be played in the show and worked into the storyline. So that was kind of, it was one of the first shows to really do that. They played, like, this was the show that was, responsible basically for the song um i think i think it was call me or is either call me or rapture one of those blondie the hits. blondie song yeah it was it was responsible for that becoming a hit and blondie i guess sent the creator of the show a gold record because they featured it in an episode really? and nobody had heard that song before and they played it in a storyline on the show right and it was just, i think johnny fever loved the song and he was playing it all the time and people went out and bought the record and became a hit because of the show so well it's amazing so it wasn't a, a radio station or a jock yeah, breaking the song. It was a TV show about a radio station and jocks that broke the song. It was a fake, <laughs> fake radio station that broke that into a hit. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the story I no, read. No, it's anyway. cool. Yeah. So and and the storylines usually had these DJs trying to pull off you know goofy stunts. They were always seeking attention, trying to raise their ratings. So it was just kind of a cool set. It's a great setting for a TV show. Really, it allows you to to bring in a lot of weird characters that can be there one week and then go on the next week. And the show did run for four years, like I said, on CBS, 1978 to 1982. And its theme song was one of those that told the story of the show. And it told the story of the main character, whose name was Andy Travis. Got kind of packing and unpacking. Town to town, up and down the dial. And now, as we said, Andy and I, we both worked in radio, so we can attest to some of the lyrics on the in the theme song. And one of the, the best lyrics in the song is comes from the narrator who says, I got kind of tired of packing and unpacking town to town, up and down the dial. And that's really like the story of radio, right? Yeah, I mean, anyone you is. know in radio, they've moved all over the place. Um, and especially back then, I mean, you just you went to whatever crappy city you could go to that would right. give you an airship. Right. And a lot of times the fact that I think where people ended up is sort of the city where they did. They got tired. It's the city where they... <laughs> They just sort of said, I'm done with the rat race, and that's why they ended up working in the city uh, that they did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you pretty much you got worn down, I think, from moving. And that's that's exactly what happened to Andy in this show. And the show's creator uh, is a guy named Hugh Wilson. And he actually was not a radio guy, but he was a journalism student uh, when he went to school. And he worked in advertising before he got a gig writing for the Bob Newhart show. And then eventually wrote this script, WKRP in Cincinnati. It got picked up by CBS. And Wilson actually wrote the lyrics to the theme song as well. So you got the co-creator of the show also writing the lyrics to the theme song. 
The music for the theme song was written by Tommy Wells, and this was a guy that I had to look up because I never heard of him. And apparently, he was an Atlanta-based musician who wrote commercial jingles until his death in 2012. So it made me think of like Charlie Sheen on uh, uh, Two and a Half Men. I mean, that's, that was pretty much this guy. I think I don't know. I don't know if he slept with that many chicks, but he at least you know wrote commercial jingles for his entire life. The fact that you can, the fact that you can make a career out of it. It's fantastic. That's right? great. Come on. You tip your hat. Couldn't get, couldn't get that lucky. <laughs> and the, the song is a really tight 45-second tune. It's 45 seconds, and it's over. And it was sung by Steve Carlisle. Maybe you and me were never meant to be. Just maybe think of me once in a while. So Steve Carlisle, I looked into this guy, and I'm like, why have I never heard of Steve Carlisle? Apparently he had no musical career past the WKRP theme song like that was all he did it was the beginning the peak and the decline (laughs) it really was and 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 really a lot of people have had worse careers in music than that right well it's noteworthy come on it's noteworthy i mean we're talking about the song now we're talking about it now and and i think there's still a a lot of people that would uh instantly recognize it oh yeah you know there's a place in in uh, a lot of hearts for the song now this is what's really funny when i was looking into steve carlisle the only recording I could find information of from him, he cut a 1982 vinyl record that was fittingly called Steve Carlisle Sings WKRP in Cincinnati. That was the name of the record. <laughs> and it wasn't a single. It was an actual record. It's one of those, it's one of those, it's one of those <laughs> records. <laughs> Where like the artist doesn't the artist just doesn't have enough clout to name their album. So the record company has to like it's like you know, like uh, it, it reminds me of uh, the Ray Charles. Ray Charles sings country and western. Yeah, there's no- you can't name it. You have to just say what it is. Yeah. That's true. Except that actually is a good record. Well, that's a great record. I don't think W. C. Steve that Carlisle was not, sings maybe, w- maybe a poor example because that wasn't due from a lack of clout. But it, it, it reminds me of the old that well, old tried and true technique of the company says you no you're not naming this yeah you know We're, uh, you're overthinking uh, it yeah don't, don't name it uh, blue sky brown water whatever <laughs> blue sky brown water is not a bad name for a record great record title yeah, write brown that one down water. blue sky brown water that you're not naming it anything artsy no. don't worry about it we're just gonna say it's like if we had to name this it would be Clinton Andy do a podcast yeah it's episode fifty. What is it? 33. 33? Yeah. Oh, is it 33? I thought we were up in the... Episode 33, Clint and Andy do a podcast. That's the equivalent. <laughs> you were close, though. Yeah, I, you know. But yeah, the record's it's good called... good to pay attention. The record's called Steve Carlisle Sings WKRP in Cincinnati, and it was released by MCA, and it featured nine tracks, including a three-minute version of the theme song to the show. So like I said, theme song on the show is 45 seconds. They stretched it out to three minutes to make a full song out of it, and they released it as a single in 1982, which is like when the show was winding down and it was basically over. <laughs> a little, this, And it, it peaked on the charts at number 65, so nobody cared at this point. Like, they totally missed the chance to have this be a hit. You know, I talked in a couple episodes ago about they the Mary the Tyler. Train. Yeah, they missed the train. I talked about the Mary Tyler Moore theme a couple episodes ago and how that actually became a hit song. They cut it as like a, a, a country version. And it did pretty well in the charts. It's such a good song, too. It was a good song. It's well written. They released it at a time when the show was still chugging along with a lot of popularity. People weren't tired of it. But this came just at a really bad time. It was just not a good time for Steve Carlisle to try to get his music career going. So uh, some of the other tracks on the album, I just kind of wanted to read a couple of the titles here. 
uh, from Steve Carlisle sings WKRP in Cincinnati. We've now, got, did he write all the? Do you know? Did, did he write? I don't see any writing credits on this website. Doesn't matter. At. Go ahead. So no clue who wrote the songs. I'm going to go out and say Carlisle did not write these songs. But <laughs> first track's called "Walk Away." Then we've got "I'll Fall in Love Again," "What's Come Over You," "Learning to Live Without You," "Last Night," and then the B side starts with WKRP in Cincinnati main <laughs> theme. You told a lie. Real love. And then I think the best title on the entire album is the last track called You Made Your Bed. That's something to think about as you're going home, I think. It's like uh, <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Generic from uh, Generic's Town. You it know? really like, is. Every, it's like, every track's like a generic love song, yeah, I think. Yeah. Like a broken heart song. Yeah. That's the whole album. It's so like, they, And I'm convinced everybody, everybody who ever recorded a note in their lives has a song called Walk Away. Yeah, pretty much. Everybody. Why not? Everybody's got to walk away. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Okay, so like I said, WKRP in Cincinnati ended in 1982. It was only a four-year run, but its theme song lived on through the years, and it's still a beloved TV theme song. They actually used a remixed version of the song in the horribly titled 1991 show, The New WKRP in Cincinnati, which featured French Stewart and Tawny Katane as a cast. So if you can imagine that cast. Uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about your leading co-star. Her claim to fame <laughs> is that her nipple slipped out on a music video for Whitesnake. So if you, are, if, if you are building the foundation of that house, I question the home that you are building. I, I think I would tend to agree. And that show actually ran for two years, so it... It didn't get canceled after one, so had a better had a better run than some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Two, ran for two episodes, uh, and this, like I said, the song does remain beloved. Just a couple months ago, actually, I saw the Killers, who I know you love them, Andy yes. Brandon Flowers, saw them live at Bunbury Music Festival in uh, Cincinnati, and because they were in Cincinnati, they played the WKRP in Cincinnati theme song the whole way through. They played the whole song in the middle of their set, like. After doing a couple tunes everybody knew, they play the WKRP theme song. And everybody ate it up, didn't they? Well, I ate it up because I knew the song like from the first word that the that, that Brandon Flowers said. I knew it from the first Cincinnati. line. Well, they're for sure. saying yeah, Cincinnati. That's the thing. You you could tell that <laughs> now if you've ever been to a music which you've never been to a music festival. I've never been famously, to a music you've festival. said many yes, times. I've, on the show. I've been on record, nor nor am I uh, too particularly interested in attending a music festival. Well, if you go to one, you'll realize that you're the <laughs> oldest person there. <laughs> I mean, even I'm at even at our age, we're the, but you're by far going to be the oldest person there. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm like grandpa at these things. It's like teenagers and people that are under 22 go to these, and so no one knew the WKRP theme song. But when they heard him say Cincinnati, they're like, "Oh my God, Cincinnati!" Exactly. He's talking about exactly. us. But I knew the real deal, and I loved the song. And so there you go. I mean, this this is a beloved song. You got a legit rock band putting it in their uh, set list. So. You know, you could do worse than the WKRP and Cincinnati theme song. And that is my pick for this week's greatest TV show theme song of all time. Baby, if you've ever wondered, wondered whatever became of me. I'm living on the air in Cincinnati. Cincinnati WKRP. Now, in talking about theme songs... Important question here, Andy. You're the music guy. Yeah. I talk about theme songs a lot. I wonder from you, do you have a preference for instrumental theme songs mm. or theme songs that have lyrics? You've seen it work both ways. Think of The Simpsons. That's an instrumental. Sets the scene Good one. beautifully. 
think about The Sopranos. That's obviously a song with lyrics. I would probably um, uh, lean towards a song with lyrics, okay? If you have an interesting, if you have that interesting music, sonically it's interesting. And then if they're saying something that's interesting on top of it, and that just sort of stirs that creativity. Curiosity, not creativity. You want to stir curiosity within your audience. I get you. Right. I'm picking right. up what you're laying right. down. Yeah, I guess if you're making the show, you're stirring your own creativity. But you want your audience to be curious. You want your audience to buy in. And when Tony Soprano is in the car at the beginning theme of The Sopranos and you hear that song, then uh, I think that's about all you can ask for. Yeah, you're right. That's a really good one. And that's an example of a show that had a theme song that was already written before the show went on the air. So that was not like a a song that was written for the show. They picked it. And David Chase was like the master of picking songs, as we saw through that entire series. That's one of the best parts about The Sopranos is the music. Pairing up the song with the moment. Yeah. So so that's a unique example of that. But obviously you got this song, WKRP, and you've got ones, especially in the 70s, they wrote them especially for the show. They had, in this case, the co-creator of the show writing the song. So clearly he wanted to explain the, the storyline of his own show and why it was so great. And, uh, I, you know, it's a, it's a good success. But people don't really take seriously anymore the uh, songs that kind of explain the storyline of the show. That, that's passe. That went out a long time ago. It did go out. It, was a, it, was, it turned out to be a fad. Yeah, and big what time. and what happens to fads? You yeah. know, they 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 dissipate. Although I was I was deeply moved by the Gilligan's Island uh, uh, hey, theme song. You know, I mean, how I can bought in, that? baby. How can <laughs> told you the whole story? It was story. a three hour tour. Three, three hour tour. And now look, you know, I mean, we got to know all the characters. What, what more did you need? That's right. In the YouTube gener, in like the Vine generation, that would be the whole show. That's it, right there. The length of the theme song actually might be longer than a whole a whole episode. That's actually a good point. Would it, it, are, are there people now that if you tried to do that? Given that attention spans are <laughs> what they are in the YouTube generation, for the Vine generation, if you're a Viner, uh, <laughs> are there people out there that feel like, they, hey, they just, they got, hey, we got the gist yeah. after the opening theme. I don't need to watch. Hey. Hey, I know what it's the about. story. That's it. <laughs> We're good. Bunch of guys got on a boat, and they got lost, and now they're on an island. And now they're on an oh. island. But the clip, they look okay. Yeah, they're fine. Right. <laughs> So instrumental, especially that Marianne. Instru- she, she looks, she looks she, all right. She looks fine. That's for sure. She was, fine. She was eating well on the island. So was so was Skipper. How the hell did he stay so fat the whole time he was <laughs> yeah, out there? Right. Guy was stuck on a desert island. He looked like I mean, every day was Thanksgiving. <laughs> Gilligan's about the only one I'm worried about. He actually he actually looks like he's you know like like he hasn't eaten. He's in lived days. on it. Yeah, you're yeah. right. They, they, their clothes looked pretty good on that show too. Actually. Really bizarre. Always clean. Not a high level of attention to detail on that show. So instrumental themes or ones with lyrics, I I tend to probably agree with you, Andy. I like ones that have lyrics. I just think think they can pull you in more. And I think when someone picks a song that's already been written and it goes so well with the show, I just have so much respect for that kind of – that kind of artistic uh, you know, knowledge, just scope of knowledge to be able to find a song that matched your show so right, well. Right, being serious for a second. If you sit down to watch a show for the first time and you don't know much about the show, the opening theme, it will be your literally your introduction to this whole creative world. So yeah. how do you, if you're saying something, what are you saying as you sit down to write it to somebody uh, that has no clue 
what's about to come next, uh, that is important. And that plays a pivotal role in the uh, in the storytelling pri- process, even if it's a brief role, yeah. it's an it's an important one. Yeah, I mean, in instrumental ones, there have been some really good ones, though. I really liked, uh, I've, I love the Leftovers theme song. I, you yeah. mentioned The Simpsons. That's a really yeah. good one. Um, I mean, there have been some really strong ones over the years. Uh, Lost had a really good little theme song, even though I wouldn't even necessarily call it a song as much. I think it was like one note. But it went <laughs> yeah. so well with that show. I mean, it was just one eerie yeah. note, and the right. word Lost came up, and that was the whole opening titles. But it was so good. It was one of my favorite opening titles from any show. Law and Order as well. Oh, man. I mean, when you, hear the, when you hear the first second, the first note, right? you know what show it is. Right. You don't have, I mean, it, it requires no imagination on your part. You know what show it is, and you know what you're in for. So that's a perfect, that was written by Mike Post, and he did the NYPD Blue theme song also. He did a bunch of great theme songs, but Hill Street Blues, tons of them. Wow. All God. instrumentals. The, the, the guy had a knack. He did, yeah, and all instrumentals. Yeah, he only, he only did those instrumental theme songs. So. Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time talking about theme songs here on the show. Uh, if you uh, enjoy the WKRP in Cincinnati theme song, or you have any ideas for theme songs you really like, maybe you want me to dive into them here on the greatest TV show theme song of all time that I do at the opening of every show, write me an email at theclintdavis at gmail.com. You can also mention us on Twitter at overdue underscore uh, review that'll work as well speaking of shows that had instrumental theme songs uh, the show i want to talk about now if you'll permit me andy sure is uh, stranger things on netflix which so far has aired one season the season just uh aired uh, it well just first came out last month uh in july on netflix and uh, already it's kind of become a cultural phenomenon even though it's only, only been out for a month but stranger things just real quick had a i thought a really solid opening title sequence as well i really liked the little you know, kind of like creepy uh, synthesizer instrumental thing they had going on. It was a total throwback thing. It, Big it, rem- time. it reminded you of the opening credits of a, a horror film from the 80s. Did, yeah. It kind of reminded me of like Blade Runner, even. Well, you yeah. Know, it was yeah. kind of like that. Yeah. Giorgio Moroder or something like that. But so Stranger Things, like I said, just came out a month ago. And already everybody and their brother seems like has seen this show. It's already Netflix's biggest hit show um, that they've ever had, aside from. If you would believe it, Fuller House and uh, Orange is the New Black. Those are the two shows that have outpaced it. One, I, one's a great show. One is, I believe, I it. don't know, not yeah. so much. Yeah, it 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 just it it exists because of this fascination with with nostalgia. Exactly, this absolute absolute fascination with uh, yesteryear. And Stranger Things is kind of in a similar vein. It but talk tackles, about two show, But talk about two shows that yeah. that approach nostalgia uh, in different ways. You're right. You're right. I mean, with with Full House, it's almost Fuller House. It's almost shameless. It's pandering, and it's set in a contemporary world, but it still feels like dated. Yeah. Whereas you've got Stranger Things, which is set in 1983, and it feels like 1983. Correct. So yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's period appropriate. Right. I would right. Say. Yeah. Fuller, Fuller House. Make no mistake. Its heart is in the late 80s. Yeah. You know, the Even se- though the setting it's been may 20 be years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the the setting may be contemporary, maybe present day, but its heart. And the way that the show is set up yeah. is is uh, uh, firmly in the mid eighties. Firmly in the eighties. Good point. Good point. So Stranger Things, uh, this show, like I said, just came out, and it's already beat Daredevil. It's already beat Making a Murderer. Those were kind of the big shows that right out of the gate were juggernauts for Netflix. Yeah. And now Stranger Things, you have to count among those as well. So I started thinking about it. I'm like, why was this show so popular right from the start? It had like no promotion. I saw no. I've still seen no commercials for it on regular TV. It came out of 
It came out of nowhere. My wife watched it. She was not familiar with it. She was just you know, clicking around looking for something to watch. She watched the series. Uh, I then picked it up and started watching it um, and hadn't heard of anybody. I hadn't talked to anybody else who had seen it other than, than my wife. And then it was like one day, yeah. like everybody had been doing the same thing. And then it, one day everybody decided to talk about it. Yeah. And now we are where we creepy, are. It's kind of creepy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's like we're all sheep or something, and yeah. we just <laughs> watch the same things. And just at the same time, we all knew what to watch. we all come out of our houses at the same time to discuss. We really do. It's it's very strange. So, And this show really doesn't have much star recognition either. I mean, it's got uh, it's got Winona Ryder, but not a huge star. I mean, she was she was a big enough star back in the 90s, that's at a, least. That's a lowercase s. It's been a while right. since Winona Ryder was right. a name that was like a huge you know, name. It's been a, it's been quite a little bit of time. So, not a lot of name recognition on this show. The guys who created it really hadn't done anything else. So, I'm like, why was it so popular? And the reasons I feel like it were so popular or it was so popular are numerous. First off, it's instantly engaging. It's got a short and painless runtime for viewers, and it goes all out for what you mentioned before, Andy, 1980s nostalgia, which is so in demand uh, uh, these days. And this show does it in a in a good way. So if you haven't seen Stranger Things, let me uh, sum up the plot for you. It's a show about a group of young boys who are growing up in this small town in Indiana in 1983. And these kids are nerds with a capital N, in the most classic way that you could be nerds. They spend their entire weekends playing Dungeons & Dragons in a basement. They read and share comic books with each other. They're in the AV club together at high school, and they get excited about a new ham radio that their AV club and like science teacher buys for their closet at school. (laughs) So, I mean, if you wrote those characters into a show like The Simpsons or something, they would be stereotypical nerds, and you would not believe them because it's like they're trying too hard to make them seem like nerds. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Without question. I will say that is a credit to the actors, though, who manage not manage, but they do. They breathe life into these on paper. Very stereotypical uh, nerd (laughs) uh, characters. I mean, talk. I mean, it checks every box. What you just what you just mentioned checks every box. Yep. On the uh, on the the nerd check sheet, it's right? like lazy check writing one hundred and one. Exactly, right? I mean, but, here's but a nerd character. But those kids are so much fun. They're so good. Yeah. That, that they're likable. You're you able know? to overlook it, and they're not defined by their interests. They're, yeah. they're nerds with hearts. You're right, and they're adventure. They're adventurous too. Right. They're not just the, like they want to stay in the basement. They want to go out and they want to look for their friend, and they're trying to crack this case open. And they've got good imaginations, which right. really helps them get to the bottom of this because. There's, it's not a standard kidnapping. It's it's something that requires a little bit more thought to to imagine what happened. Right. There's no disdain for the outside world. Yeah. They'll 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 leave their basements. Yeah. So we, we give them some credit for that. Yeah. But on paper, these are not exactly deep characters. These are just no. standard nerds. Um, the plot follows the kids and several other people in this little Indiana town after one of the circle of friends disappears one night. Uh, just in, at the end of the first episode, the kid disappears when he's riding his bike home from uh, from playing Dungeons and Dragons in the basement, um, <laughs> and no one knows what happened to him. And the show quickly dives into sci-fi monster territory as we start to figure out that it was no ordinary kidnapping, as I mentioned. It's a heavy. It's it's got heavy sci-fi uh, roots. This show does. It's really a sci-fi monster show. At the end of the day. And Stranger Things, as far as its look and feel, it looks and feels like a 1980s Spielberg movie. It's got some of the sweetness of E.T. It's got the adolescent attitude of the Goonies. It's got the frightening mystery of Jaws. 
But honestly, this show is a bit darker than any of those movies are individually, even darker than Jaws, I would say. Um, and if you grew up in the early 1980s, you're going to love seeing the costumes, the set design, the toys that are used in the show. Just when you look around the basement of the main character's house, all the th- like the posters on the walls, they're all they're, they're not anachronistic. They're all period, you know, appropriate. They're toys that are all over the place, just like the wood paneling on the walls. I mean, it really all does fit the look. They nailed the period. And I feel like the biggest credit I'm going to give to the creators of this show, uh, Matt and Ross Duffer, is that they paid such great attention to detail in the look of the show. The look was really good. Your best shows and movies, for that matter, are able to create a, a, a world. You know, and they make it seem so damn real. Yeah. You know, this we mentioned we, we could use the Sopranos as an example for doing, you know, fill in the blank. Right. You know, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, you know, every time. But but the Sopranos was like that where it really did a great job of creating this this world. You know, uh, True Detective did a great job of creating the first season of creating this world, you know, and it just seems so immense, but it also seems so real. And I think that's what you're talking about well and that was a world you didn't necessarily want to live in this one's not really much better actually though because (laughs) the government in stranger things is scary the town is kind of like weird i mean the people in it aren't really necessarily that smart except for the few characters that we get to see but all the other ones are they're kind of a bunch of assholes in this town really they're they're just they're just yeah small town small minded yeah uh Folk yokels, yeah, right. A little, little bit of yokel the, the stuff little, going on. You got a little, you got, you got the yokel thing. A little small mindedness, that's for sure. Now, aside from the production values, the other thing that Stranger Things has going for it, as far as making it an instant hit, is its length. The show, the first season, is only eight episodes long. So when you're watching Netflix and you're looking for a new show, you look at titles, and in the like the bottom right hand corner of the screen, at least that's where I always see it. It'll tell you how many episodes and how many seasons the show is. And a lot of times that can be the yes or no, you know, jump off point as to whether or not I'm going to start a new show because, uh, you know, you look at a show like, you know, West Wing or something that's right. on Netflix and you see, oh, my God, nine seasons. Right. 160 episodes of an hour, of hour long shows. It's like beginning a new relationship. Oh man, you, I mean, you have to ask yourself whether or not you're up for the commitment. Yeah, you're going to be in this for right. at least a year of solid watching, you know. Right. And that's that's even if you're binging it, it's probably going to take you at least a year to watch it. Yeah. So it's it's a heavy commitment whereas this show, you look at Though it, you if you see, haven't, I do recommend binging the the uh, West Wing. I figured you would. Yeah. But you, you know, you look at it and you see 8 episodes. That's the length of this show. So it's almost like why not watch it? Even it's a weekend. if it's not very yeah, it's a weekend. You can be done with it by Monday. You can be in talking with everybody, joining the conversation. And it's like you were there from day one. So it's there's really like no excuse to not watch a show that's that short. The other thing, too, that I like and other shows have done this is that the episode lengths will vary. And yeah. I think that's a good thing because if you don't have the material to fill an hour, then don't fill an hour. Don't don't don't, you know, insert an unnecessary subplot. Yeah. Don't insert unnecessary uh, atmosphere. Don't insert things just for the sake of inserting them and taking up time. I mean, you, yeah. you, you look at you look at a show uh, like Stranger Things, and one episode may be what forty four minutes, another yeah. episode may be closer to an hour. Yeah. Some shows may be over an hour. Yeah, uh, and that's just uh, I think that's that's good for the storytelling. I agree, and I, that's something that really HBO like gave us. As a TV culture, because yeah. before that, I mean, you were really uh, shows have always been strapped to those half hour or hour long time slots with 
ad breaks on network TV, on cable TV. But HBO kind of broke that down, and you were able to have you know shows like Six Feet Under, The Wire, Sopranos, whatever, who would have episodes sometimes yeah. that were an hour and ten minutes long. Sometimes yeah. they were 45 minutes long. It just depended on how much story they had, and they weren't tied down to, well, shit, you know, we're ten minutes short. we got to fill. And that's that's when you run into to or, trouble. Or even, even worse, we got a lot that we want to get into this episode. Yeah, we need to cut. We have to cut it. Yeah, even worse. You're right. Uh, so, and that's something that all network shows fell victim to over time. I mean, they've all had those kind of situations. So, but with a show like Stranger Things, yeah, and on Netflix, you have a lot of freedom as a show writer. You don't have to worry about running into the wall of advertising or uh, a time slot being over. So, certainly, it makes things even better. Now, for this show, they did keep the episode lengths pretty short. So, again, it's not a huge commitment of a watch, and it's really worth the time because it's it is a fun world uh, that you're going into. And I should say it's it's more like it's fun characters that you're meeting. I talked about the look of the show. I do think the, the show looks very good um, and sounds very good, but the only exception I would give to that, the one caveat would be the monster that's really the main antagonist of the show. I, I just did not feel like this CGI, obviously computer-animated monster fit in very well with a show that was set in the 80s. Even in some scenes in the show, they're they're paying homage to, like, old monster and horror movies that used practical special effects and yeah. used, you know, things like, I think he says melted bubble gum in the microwave to make it look like a guy's head was going to pop off of his head or, or pop off his neck. I mean, like that's the kind of stuff that they're paying tribute to. So why not go with special effects? I just, I feel like it would have been better if they had built the monster and done it some way that was more in tribute to the eighties than trying to do it like a movie today. would. The way that the show is run Basically, the way that it's built, you know, is in itself a tribute to the storytelling process that was popular and used uh, in the 80s. So when you insert uh, a CGI monster, uh, stylistically, it is a clash. It's kind of goofy. It's, it, it just, I didn't think it was that good it just, of a... It just feels... Like it's 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 out of step or it's it's yeah. it's awkward. Doesn't match. And and I feel like the monster wasn't even that. Like if the monster was really good looking, like really cool looking, I could have probably gotten over it. But the monster wasn't even that cool looking. Right. It was just like a generic, tall, you know, black figure with uh with a face that was like a flower. You right. know, basically like right. a Venus flytrap face, which is. Just kind of strange. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't love it. So yeah. that was my that was my least favorite part. Strangely, took me out of the show every time the monster was on. Here's what took me out of the show, and you and I have talked about this. The show initially is set up around a boy who goes missing. I got to the point in the while I was watching that I didn't really care. It sounds funny, but I didn't really care if they even found the kid. <laughs> I mean, that's I a problem. Like, I felt like that's I didn't know him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I couldn't even. As I'm sitting here right now, I can't remember what he looks like. I can't. He really had either. what one scene in the, he, in the first episode? He had yeah, like pretty much one pretty scene, much. and then he was riding his bike. That would be another scene. But yeah, well, like two scenes really for all intents and purposes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you had just just this brief period where yeah. you saw him, and then you went missing. He went missing. And you're 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 watching his friends and the effect that it has on the family, but you're not really you don't really care to see him again. No, you're I didn't not care thinking, to yeah. see him again. You know what I mean? And that feels it feels funny to say it, but I didn't care if they found the kid. It reminds me of like the movie The Hangover, which is kind of a weird thing to compare to Stranger Things. But like if you remember that movie, 
the guy that gets lost, the guy they're looking for, the the I think his name was Doug, the uh, yeah. groom. Yeah. He's the by far the least interesting guy in the right. group. So it's like almost like who cares? Why do we even? Who cares? If we ever find Doug? Because right. let's just let me keep hanging out with Alan and all these other guys because I really could care less. Doug's boring. So you know, and then but when, where, whereas that was a comedy, yeah, 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 this is a drama. You know, and emotionally. I think you are supposed to, you know, you are supposed to be rooting for, uh, uh, rooting for them to to find uh, this boy again. I and, and and I understand that you want to quickly get into the story. You want to quickly get into um, the crux of what makes Stranger Things uh, what it is. I just thought they should have made uh, the brief amount of time that they allowed for the boy at the beginning of the series. I think they should have made maybe a little bit more out of that time. You know, they should have made that count just a little bit more. Give him uh, a, a situation that's memorable or a line that's memorable or a perspective that's memorable. Something that was memorable because uh, there was very little about the boy yeah. that goes missing that, that, that was even memorable. I would say that that maybe gives a little credence to possibly wanting a couple more episodes in the show because, as I've said before, I feel like eight to ten episodes yeah. is like the sweet spot for any season of TV. If you can't tell a story in ten episodes, then really it's probably not a story that needs to be told because it shouldn't take much longer than that. And you can, I think you can tell any story in ten hours uh, of narrative. So maybe another episode would have helped in letting us get to know the boys a little more in their element before they became these like supernatural detectives. So yeah, I could I could see that, but you know, the what made me start caring about the kid getting found was getting to know his mom played by Winona Ryder, seeing the the desperation from her, the struggle. She really wanted, mm-hmm. you know, to find him and she was desperate to find him. So that may, that did bring me in a little bit more and really want, but it wasn't because of him. It yeah. wasn't like, oh my god, we got to bring him back because he was so great, right. so memorable. Yeah, you're right. I, I really had no memory of him by the time the show ended. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's what he looked like, generic white kid. That's pretty much was it. But let me praise some of the other actors on the show. First off, speaking of child actors on this show, which it's got them in spades. We've got Millie Bobby Brown, and she, to me, is the one that should be hoisted up on our shoulders after the show ends because. She was incredible in this first season. She's 12 year, years old. She's this young British actor who was born in Spain, and I read a story, crazy story about her family. Her parents apparently sold everything they had to make the trip. This is incredible. Yeah, from Britain to America to give her a shot at acting. Something tells me my parents would not have been so willing. I don't think so. I don't think many of ours would be. And what a hell of a gamble. Like, Could you imagine if she sucked at acting and then like the family just... Like they never recovered from this. She never did never, anything. No one ever worked. Yeah. I mean, she, she never. <laughs> she got like a Mentos commercial like <laughs> yeah. one time in, in 2015. But you tell me that before this, she didn't even do community she, theater? Uh, well, I don't know about that, but she hadn't she hadn't done anything like on screen. Nothing professional. I'm nothing, not sure about stage. Maybe she did that. Not even a commercial. Not, yeah. Hadn't done commercial work. Hadn't done. Yeah. Anything like that. So it was a total shot in the dark. Yeah, and she's, quite the she's only 12 years old now. So when they moved, I think she's like nine years old. So, I mean, you're putting a lot of stock into a nine-year-old kid, and it really paid off for him. It was a good gamble because clearly she's a, she's a gifted actor, and I, I look forward to seeing her in some other things. So in this show, she got lucky to play this character, Eleven, who's by far the most interesting character in the entire uh, show. She's this mysterious little girl. She's got a shaved head. She's got this traumatic background, and she has telekinetic powers. So really, what more could you ask for from a character to kind of sink your teeth into if you're an actor? 
And Brown was so believable, and, and she walked this fine line. It's not often that you can be a badass and be so vulnerable at the same time. Like, she breaks your heart in some scenes. You just want to reach out and hug her because she's so vulnerable. But then other times, she's picking people up with her mind. She's throwing moving vans across the road with her mind. I mean, she's killing She kills, like, six guys in one shot, breaks their necks with her mind in one scene. Um, and it's it's awesome. But at the same time, she's so vulnerable. She's so frail. It's a, so, it's a rare dynamic. It and, really and, and is. It's one that, that. That's, that's hard to perfect. But you will find throughout the history of cinema – if you are able to walk that line, those characters are are immortalized. Oh, I mean, Brando was so good at doing <laughs> I mean, that. I mean, Dean was really good at doing that. Even these I mean, days. I think DiCaprio was very good yeah. at that. Brad Pitt yeah. is very good at that. Uh, and so you're you're on the right – she's on the right path. Yeah. If you can do it now, you know, if you're if you're able to sort of find that, that the, you know, the sweet spot on the bat. Kate Blanchett. Yes. And can do that yes. on, the, on, the, on a dime. So – yeah, I mean, it's it's high praise that we're giving her, but I really do feel like this girl, Millie Bobby Brown, did a really good job uh, in this show. And, and like I said, vulnerable and badass at the same time. She also had very few lines, if you notice. She she hardly spoke at all. I mean, I'd like to see the yeah. script, but she really didn't. And, and most of her lines were like one word, two words. She was mimicking the boys because she grew up in such a weird atmosphere that she didn't have friends. She had no friends before she got out of this, you know, situation that she had broken out of and found herself hanging out with these kids. She had never hung out with other kids. She had only been around doctors and adults. So if you're talking about from the actor's perspective, now this shifts to nonfiction or excuse me, this shifts to nonverbal, not nonfiction, nonverbal acting, which is tough. But uh, but at the same time, uh, there are so many there are so many ways to uh, to show that you are vulnerable. For instance, if you walk into a room and somebody is sitting in a chair, you can tell if they're uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, you can tell. Yeah, so if they're a good it, actor, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so if she's able to do that, if she's able to to carry those mannerisms, or if she, and, and you have to do that consistently, that's the tricky part. Okay, you can look. You you can shift one way, and you can get the shot uh, maybe for this scene. But you have to carry yourself that way in all these not in, in a very uh, in all these nonverbal ways uh, throughout the series. Yeah, that's a she tough does thing. a lot. And you got to You got to keep yourself just physically yeah. in check. Yeah, you know, she does a lot of facial expression acting in the show, and yeah. it's really fun to. I there's love, a lot of acting with the eyes. I love it. Yeah, and I'm, I I love it. And the way they shot her was really cool, and the way they made her look was, it was just memorable. She's a really memorable, one of the most memorable new characters I've seen on TV in a long time. So I look forward to seeing what's gonna you know go on with Eleven here down the road because they did it in the show kind of ambiguously with her character. Now, other actors on the show, really everybody pulled their weight. Winona Ryder, I already mentioned, she was solid, but I feel like solid is a word that I kind of would always use for her. I've never, even though I like a lot of Winona Ryder movies, um, and Girl Interrupted is the one that jumps out to me. I, I go back to that movie a lot, and I really enjoy that film. But she's not the one that m- takes me back to it. It's, you know, Angelina Jolie is the right. one that really takes me back to that movie, and even Brittany Murphy take me back to that movie. But Winona's there, and she's solid enough, but she she never, like, jumps off the screen at me as this great actor, this powerhouse. No. She, she, no. She's just solid, she, she's right? She's steady. Yeah. She's steady, and, and, and she's reliable. Good word for it, reliable. She's reliable, She's for very sure. reliable. And she was reliable again in this. She did a nice job. Right, yeah. They're, they're never, but at the same time, she's not the, and I think you'd agree, she's not the most memorable aspect 
of this series. She's not the most memorable cast member. No, I mean, yeah, she got outacted by a 12-year-old girl. So I would definitely <laughs> say that, you know, not an insult to Winona Ryder, but she had a hell of a 12-year-old in the cast with her. <laughs> Now, David Harbour is an actor that did a really good job on this show also, and I think you're going to see him become more of a name-brand actor he, he was, after this role. He's fabulous in the newsroom. Yeah, he, he, and if you remember in Stranger Things, he played the small-town police chief, the name, I can't remember the name of the character off the top of my head now, but yeah, he was in the newsroom. He's been in plenty of stuff. You've probably seen him before, but he's one of those character actors that you didn't know his name, you just knew his face. He's uh, He's been nominated for a Tony for his work on the stage. He was in a bunch of movies before this. He was in Quantum of Solace. He was in Black Mass last year, and he was good in Black Mass, too. Um, and uh, State of Play, the uh, the th- Russell Crowe. There you movie. go, another solid movie. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, he was in that. He was in uh, the newsroom on TV. He was in State of Affairs, Law and Order, a couple of different Law and Orders actually. So he, this guy's been around, David Harbor, and now I think you're finally going to see him be a recognizable actor, a name actor. He's probably going to get nominated for some kind of award for his performance in this show, supporting actor role. Um, And I'd say he was the most firm and steady guy in this whole cast. His character was pretty well-defined from the first episode, and he remained level kind of the whole way. He didn't have, like, the highs and lows that the other characters did so much. With the exception of Winona Ryder, there were so many uh, cast members that that you can tell they're they're young, you know, and as good as they are, you can sense a little inexperience. That's partly what makes them good. That's partly what makes them uh, enjoyable to watch. Exciting, yeah. Right. But with him, uh, you did feel like you were watching a veteran actor. I agree. Yeah, and he, he was just very steady all the way through. He understood the character and and totally got into it. The young boys, uh, be remiss if I didn't mention them since they really are in most of the scenes. They're they, very good. They're very good. They're they, fun. They were good. They were fun to watch. Uh, I wouldn't say they reinvented the wheel or anything, uh, but they were, you know, fine, like I said, and, and pretty inexperienced actors as well, but uh, did a nice job, and I would look forward to watching them again. They made their characters fun, and they made them memorable. Like you said, Andy, they, they were cardboard Basically, cardboard cutout nerds, they're, but they breathe car- some life into them. Right, absolutely. You, you, again, you read these character descriptions on paper, and they just sound like cartoons. Totally, yeah. And and their performances were a little more cartoony than some of the other performances. Where Dustin was a little cartoony, but he was also a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and you know? it really reminded me. You mentioned earlier, but uh, in in sticking with the '80s tribute, this cast, this crew, the crew of kids, really reminded me of the Goonies. Oh, totally. And that was definitely by design. I mean, you could tell they wanted it to be like those kids. Absolutely. You know, adventurous, just, you know, fun group of friends. They just want to be left alone. They just want to go out. They want to find their friend and, and, you know, play with their ham radio at the same time. Aside from the obvious uh, 80s references, the posters on the wall, the toys, the cars. Yeah, the music. The music. Aside from those things, there's also a tribute to the 80s in the storytelling. They're taking a little bit from this film, and they're taking a little bit from that film that you loved, and this film that you loved, and this director, and they're inserting all these things, and so it just becomes a, it is a piece of nostalgia, but it's layered. Yeah. There's so many different layers of nostalgia within the show that that just, again, that's what makes it interesting. Agreed, yeah. It's just a well-made show. Yeah, just, it, just, it was. Just well done, really. And uh, I was a little confused by the ending because, and this was probably my fault, not really on the fault of the guys that wrote the show. I had the impression that this was going to be an anthology series, uh, like an American Horror Story kind of thing, where we'd have a new story and we'd wrap the story up at the end of a short run, and then we'd have a you know new setting next season. But it looks like this is going to be more of a traditional show where we'll pick back up with these characters and 
back in this town and, and kind of follow their adventures from here. So that was just me. So if you go into it expecting like an anthology show, you might be a little bit underwhelmed by the ending as well because it does just leave you with more questions than answers at the end. Um, and, and really, if I had to sum up Stranger Things finally in a nutshell, I would probably describe it as being like Stand By Me meets The X-Files. And really, what is not to like? That's not bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if I come into your pitch meeting, you're a TV network executive, yeah. and I'm like, all right, I got this show. Yeah. It's going to be set in 1983. we got this group of boys. The show's going to be Stand By Me meets The X-Files, all I right? Would, I would listen to your pitch. You'd give me some money, right? Yeah, I, 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 I would hear you out. I wouldn't walk away empty-handed from this meeting. So it's a, it's a really cool, you know, a little idea and a little premise and it it borrows from other sources like you said Andy but without acting like it's not borrowing from other sources because that's always annoying when that happens don't act like you're inventing this if you're clearly not inventing this and and they knew who they were kind of ripping off but they were doing it with love the, in, in, it was subtle yeah don't don't wink at your audience yeah they didn't do any of that you know I never man I never like where it's just uh yeah, right. they don't beat yeah. you over the head with it. All right, we got it. It was subtle. They don't beat you over the head. And I they ha- massaged it in. I mean, they, they, they took all these things, and they sort of were able to weave it into something that, hey, you know, it, by doing that, yeah. okay, by taking that approach, that, in a weird way, makes it original. You yeah. know, you're taking the all these other things, but you're uh, gluing them together to come out with something original. Well, and the difference between a good show and movie that tributes other movies and a bad one is can you have not seen the movies it's paying tribute to and still enjoy it? So like with Stranger Things, if you've never seen The Goonies, if you've never seen E.T., you've never seen a Spielberg movie, I still think you could like this show. I don't think it would take away from it at all. I think it would, you know, it might take away a little bit of some of the enjoyment that you get out of seeing these costumes and stuff like that, but I feel like you'd still love the show, whereas... You know, some shows and movies, right. if you haven't seen the stuff they're ripping off, then there's no point. What, what what was truly impressive about Stranger Things is that they were able, in small doses, they were able to capture the spirit of some of Spielberg's films. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do. It's a good guy to rip off if you're going to rip somebody off. Yeah. You know, it's like how Spielberg ripped off Hitchcock all the time with Jaws <laughs> yeah. and everything. Yeah. If you're going to rip somebody yeah. off, Hitchcock's a great guy to rip oh. off, and now Spielberg's a great guy to rip off. You right. Know? So you got to take from the masters. Uh, the, the guys who created the show, Matt and Ross Duffer, they go by the names of the Duffer Brothers. Uh, they just got their first credit in 2015. They did a movie called Hidden, and they worked a little bit with M. Night Shyamalan on his Fox show, Wayward Pines. So that was their only work before this, and I'll be interested to see where they go from here now that they're kind of on everyone's radar. So we'll we'll kind of see what happens. Will they collapse under the weight of the expectations like True Detective did, <laughs> or will they rise and and continue to uh, you know kind of make a show that a lot of people are enjoying? Yeah, now all of a sudden the process will be very different because you're introducing the element of expectation. Now yep. there are expectations. It's a dangerous uh, element, where, isn't it? You didn't have that before. It's probably... I would say a little easier to work without expectations. It's a little bit easier. Yeah, a little quieter. You know, no one's paying attention to you. You can surprise everyone. Now there's no surprising anyone when everyone knows you've created a good show. Right. So now it's either going to, I think those expectations, they can either crystallize what you do. Yeah, or they can, man, they can can drag you down. That's for (laughs) sure. We've seen it happen. Yeah, it's tough. So Stranger Things will be back for a second season. Uh, I'm not sure when it'll be back. I would assume next year, but you never know with these kind of shows. Uh, Season one right now, all eight episodes are available on Netflix for you if you want to give them a watch. See, I was thinking, once all this is over and Will's back and you're not a secret anymore, 
My parents can get you an actual bed for the basement. Or you can take my room if you want, since I'm down there all the time anyways. My point is, they'll take care of you. They'll be like your new parents, and Nancy, she'll be like your new sister. Will you be like my brother? What? No. No. Why no? Because... Because it's different. Why? I mean, I don't know. I guess it's not. It's stupid. Mike. Yeah? Friends don't lie. Well, I was thinking, I don't know. Maybe we can go to the snowball together. Snowball? It's this cheesy school dance where you go in the gym and dance to music and stuff. I've never been, but I know you're not supposed to go with your sister. All right, let's take a breather for a minute, Andy, uh, and we will uh, come back and find out what you've got on the plate this week. All right, right? so... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, welcome back to the Stream Police podcast coming at you from the Cincinnati Public Library today so we could finally get into a room together. <laughs> yeah. They built a little studio. Maybe one day they'll uh, put our picture on the outside of the of the wall. You think Maybe. Stream Police was I, recorded hey, here? you know, I think so. I mean, little how, big plaque. Is, how big is this thing, by the way? What I, would you say? I'm is no this... good with measurements. Maybe like 10 by 10. Yeah. Something like that. It's a, it's it's not a huge room. It's, it's a little snug. A little snug. It's a little snug. A little hot. Not as bad as my closet, but... <laughs> Also, when like, I got to look at your, I, I never, I had never seen the actual closet where, where you record your portion of the show. I saw it today, and bro, you are right. Like that is, <laughs> I mean, that's that's not a closet. That's that's a glorified nook. <laughs> it's a I nook like with a door. It's a it's a nice nook, and the cigar <laughs> smoke hits you as soon as you open the door. You know, right, right, they, yeah. They wouldn't let me bring my cigar into the library, and they wouldn't let you bring your gin and tonic either. That's no, the we only tried. knock. We tried. It's the only downfall. We had to right. check them at the door, but. Right. Whatever, I guess we'll take it. So, anyways, Andy, uh, let's uh, let's find out what you got going on this week. What's up? Right. Let me let me start with this. Let me start with Jason Aldean. How do you feel about Jason Aldean? I wouldn't call myself a, a fan. N- neither would I. Neither would I. But we are also uh, we both have open minds, do we not? Oh, for sure. Okay. There've been plenty of guys that I said I was not a fan of that I became fans. Right. A fan of. So he played a show at Fenway Park. I'm reading about this show, and I got to thinking. Uh, let me walk you through the intro, okay? This is how uh, Jason Aldean's show at Fenway Park began. First, there was a countdown 
on a giant clock. It's all these video boards, and there's this big freaking countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Then, because it's in Boston, the Dropkick Murphy song, I'm Shipping Up to Boston, starts playing over the PA. Plays in its entirety. So he played an entire three-minute song. Yeah. That's not even his song. No, Stadium's Dark. The stadium's dark, and Dropkick Murphys are playing. Okay? The whole song. Now, once the song was over, uh, there was a video of a train pulling away from the station. This is like this is the night train tour. As the video wraps up, the stadium is still dark. Okay? The words then... Crazy train are displayed. Fireworks start going off. Then, almost seven minutes after the show begins, Jason Aldean finally emerges. The graphics on the boards are syncing up with the songs. I counted at least 13 video boards on stage, and I'm watching on my phone. It's a shitty little YouTube video. <laughs> Some guy shot it on his phone. So it's all you know pixelated and whatever. It didn't look very good. But So I'm sure there were more video boards. I, myself, I counted 13. Um, good God. Yeah. I'm not saying, were you pausing it and like counting, keeping a tally yes, for I was trying to. Yes, I was trying to. <laughs> I was trying to pause it so I could get, like, okay, like, can I see them? Is this like, is it bright enough to count the, the number of freaking video boards on this guy's <laughs> screen? Um, so... There it is. There's the image for you. Now, when I describe this, some people will inevitably, some people will say, awesome. Yeah. Gets it done. Sweet. Other powerhouse, people, you know. Powerhouse. Over the top. That's what I'm paying for. Yeah. Other people will say, too much. Yeah. Like, just bring, come out with a guitar and let's just- get, Too much. Let's, get, let's hear some songs. It's starting to feel- How long did you say this was? Like seven minutes? Seven minutes. Seven minutes and you're listening of to time a, in the concert. And you're listening to a full song over the PA yeah. in those seven minutes. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Yeah. I don't get that move. Right. So- I could see a snippet. Right. Like 10 seconds or something. The whole damn the song. Whole, the whole damn song. <laughs> so, you know, acknowledging- First and foremost, this type of thing, it depends on the artist. It's an For artist sure. by artist thing. As right? far as, yeah, big as, stage as production far as or big stage intimate. Production yeah. Or intimate, right? So, but on most days, which show would you like to see? Would you like to see something that's Intimate intimate shows, by the way, solo acoustic shows, solo piano shows, they're interesting because I think you feel closer to the artist. Well, I mean, physically, most of the time, you are closer yeah. to the artist. You're just closer to him in, in the room, him or her, in the room. Uh, but which shows do you do you find yourself gravitating towards, and has that changed over the years? You might be surprised, but if I had to t say I want a big show or I want an intimate show, I would have to say I like the big shows better. 
they just the adrenaline just really gets going uh when i see like a a big intro and then we fire into the first song and it's just it's so loud you got a yep. good sound system you're it's in a, a rush you're of in a adrenaline barn. it's a rush of adrenaline you're in a barn full of like 30,000 sure. people who are all there for one thing right and they're going nuts and you have that crescendo of noise and then the first song comes out and it's just i you can't beat the beginning of a really solid concert for that i feel like so to me that's going to be an intimate show uh, every time. And I don't feel like that has really changed over time. I think I've always liked the big productions. There have been intimate shows that I've really enjoyed, but by and large, I feel like a big production, right. if you've got it, the songs to back it up and right. if you've got the right artist, it's really cool. I think I, I think there are a lot of people who would agree with you. Here's Tom Morello inducting Kiss into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What if you had never seen or heard Kiss before? What if you had never heard a note of their music, never viewed a YouTube clip, never seen a reality show featuring any of the members? And what if you wandered into a divey club in your hometown and saw Kiss in all their glory thrashing the place to the ground? One guy belching fire and spraying blood past his gargantuan tongue, a drum riser bursting through the roof, a guitar player so incredible his axe billowed smoke and shot rockets, a frontman flying back and forth across the joint like a superhero Tarzan, all of them in frightening horror movie, comic book superstar, sexifying kabuki makeup, all of them in black and silver warrior bondage gear and seven-inch platform heels, the place blowing up with explosions, screeching with sirens, raining confetti, all to the pounding soundtrack of bare-knuckle, badass, heavy-duty, liberating rock and roll. What would you say if you saw that? You'd say, that band's fucking awesome and deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's what you'd say. Now, at the same time, there is something to be said for more intimate performances. I want you to listen to, uh, in, in, in this gentleman has toured in a variety of ways. He does often tour solo, though. Listen to Richard Marks and his take on the intimate gig. And it's solo acoustic, but it's not one of those serious singer-songwriter shows, you know? It's just people in the audience hanging out with me for a couple hours. You know, this reminds me, I saw... Randy Newman in Middletown, right up the road here, in Middletown one time. He played at uh, Miami Middletown, Dave Finkelman Auditorium. <laughs> and and talk I've about, been there. Yeah, I mean, how much, talk about an intimate gig. What it's do you think not, the seating is at Not Finkelman? a huge place. Oh, God, I don't know, I mean, a couple thousand? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, a small, yeah. it's a small venue, and there's Randy Newman. And halfway through the show, he just started taking requests. Hey. Shout it out. What do you want to hear? So somebody shouts out a wedding in Cherokee County. So he plays a wedding in Cherokee County. Talks wow. about it a little bit. You would, I mean, that's just, that is something that you're only going to get at a, a an intimate, in an intimate setting like that. I saw uh, Jackson Brown in Columbus at the Palace. And uh, he played, I mean, he had more of a, of a, a, a set, set list. Um but, you know, he did. At, at one point, he started taking requests. Now, you've got a chance. I mean, wow. Here's, I mean, you're talking about two of the best songwriters of all time. Rock and Roll Hall of Famers yeah. who, who turn to you in the audience that you're a part of, and they ask you, what do you want to hear? I, I wouldn't have an answer for him. I mean, I, I'm not that kind of guy. Like, I could never shout out a request. You know what I mean? I just couldn't do it because I want to hear what they're going to play, and I, I don't want to impose on them. Right. You know? So I couldn't do it. But it's, the, the thought of it's mind-boggling. Like, it's crazy to think of a guy like a Randy Newman 
uh, just being like, what do you guys want to hear? You know, hey, how and about it? He's yeah. got such a huge catalog too that there have to be songs that he recorded that he could not play right away. Like he he maybe doesn't remember them that well, or because when you've written that many songs, you're not oh going to remember gosh. all of them. Right. So the fact right. that he was even able to play the request is amazing to me. In in, in the commentary, uh, just sort of talking. That's about, the best part to me of an intimate about show. The songs, That's the best part. You know, uh, in 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 whatever he's saying on that night. He's saying it to the audience that you're in. Yeah. You know, it feels it feels like you're being addressed. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, you know, it's just, it, it's unbelievable. One, one show that I will never, ever, ever forget. Bruce Springsteen, Solo Acoustic 2005. This one, actually, this is interesting because it was a solo acoustic show in an arena. <laughs> that's it's a strange it's a How strange do you do that? yeah that's yeah. weird they ended up cutting off you know about half the seating in the arena and his stage was about um uh, you know halfway down the floor and then they put a black curtain behind him so you're really making use of half the arena in that show but he's sitting there and he's playing and he's talking about these songs and he's talking about his family and he's talking about his kids he's talking about life on the road he's talking about why he wrote certain songs what he was doing when he wrote them what he hopes you'll hear in them uh to some degree and my god you will never and i love east street band shows i would i would see them weekly if i could see springsteen in the east street band um but you, look, that is just something that you're probably not going to get in an E Street Band show. Yeah. No, it's not. I mean, because first off, there's too many songs to play, <laughs> yeah. and they're going to be there for three hours anyway. So if he talks between every song, you're going to be there for five hours right. at a spring teacher, <laughs> which we're not going to complain about. Right, right. But I don't think he can do that. Yes. So Still yeah. wouldn't be enough for us. <laughs> no. <laughs> Keep it going. You're right, though. The commentary, that to me is that is what makes an intimate show really good. you got to have an artist who will talk. Right. Whereas... Some artists wouldn't even do that, even at an intimate show. Like right. Dylan, at an intimate show, I still couldn't imagine be like taking requests or no, talking necessarily. No, no, it would just which be is why it will depend. Acoustic, you know, yeah. you know, it's it, it's an artist by artist, you know, type yeah. of thing. That's exactly why it depends. But but my God, if you find the right artist, that type of setting is so enticing. By the way, uh, thinking back to this Jason Aldean show that I was talking about, it was funny as I'm watching this video. I mean, you've got so much shit going on you know you've you've got uh lights uh, you know that look like they're uh, from an edm show i mean they're they're kind of you know they're pumping with the the music uh spotlights across the crowd constantly um fireworks all these video boards again at least 13 video boards um meanwhile jason aldean himself is just kind of sauntering across the stage He's not a high energy guy. Like that's why it surprises me. I mean, me he that reaches he, down. But, he'll give, yeah, you know, high five, handshake, whatever to whoever he can reach in the crowd. Yeah. Uh, but but he's it's it, it's it was almost it really was almost a contrast between him, the artist, and all this shit going on around him. Yeah. He's and you wonder if they're they're trying to make up for that. Like they're like this guy is really not that exciting. So let's make the stage show like really crazy because. He's just not a dynamic personality. He, he's one of the guys that I got to meet in Nashville when right. I was covering the CMAs right. last year. And so I sat there with him and, and watched him be interviewed for like five minutes. And he just came off as like somebody who really didn't give much of a shit. <laughs> and for some guys, that's really cool. It's like they're aloof and they don't care. But, you know, they do care, but they're just acting like they don't. Right. With him, I really kind of felt like he actually did not give a shit, like about the music or anything. So He's I just a country boy. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know how he got into this business. Right. Because he doesn't have a great voice either. So he's a, he's kind of a weird anomaly, um, really. And I, know, I always had... Know, 
I always had this sneaking suspicion that he was, you know, when he meets with the suits, he's a yes man. Yeah, oh yeah. Right. I mean, I I just feel does whatever like, the executives want. I, I, I feel to do. like yeah. he'll go where they point. You know, I can see that. And in to a degree, you you you're you know you're rewarded for that. A lot of country guys do that, but you know, I don't. I I think I think there's a gap maybe between the outlaw image and the way that he actually carries himself within the business. I lost that's a, my suspicion. I don't know if I have anything to back it up or not, but that's that's just when I look at that's just what I wonder if that's the case. I lost a lot of respect for him when I listened to George Strait when he did his quote unquote last concert. Right. And they recorded it at Dallas Cowboy Stadium. It was the, the they released it on CD and it was called uh, The Cowboy Rides Away. And it was this big like all-star concert. George Strait did like 30 of his hits and he had all these great other artists come. I think Miranda Lambert was there. Like a bunch of different great she artists were there. It. I think Alan Jackson came out and did wow. a song with him. A bunch of people. Al Dean was one of the guys that came out and did a song with him. I, he did Full Hearted Memory with him, which is one of my favorite wow. George Strait songs. And they had to use auto-tune, and it's so glaringly obvious when you listen to it because Al Dean could not hit these notes. So it sounds like total shit. And, wow. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's awful. Like, if you look at reviews for that album online, fans hate that record because it's got auto-tune all over it. And, and Jason Aldean's, like, the main reason why. Every time he sings, they're, they're, pitching, they're bending the pitch of the notes so clearly. I mean, it sounds robotic even. Wow. But it's not like Kanye West auto-tune where he's trying to use it as a production tool yeah, I mean, to make it, it sound cool. That, that, that's an instrument. Yeah, he's using it as an instrument. This is just because he couldn't sing. So, yeah, if you ever listen to that, yeah, it's George Strait, Cowboy Rides Away. Full Hearted oh. Memory with Jason Aldean. There's auto tune all over it. It's awful. Do you know what I'm saying? So I though? lost do all respect. Do, do for you him. feel like he's? A, do you feel like? Because uh, I think there are a number of people. Yeah. Like a number of your more popular musicians in Nashville. I think. I, I. I think they. They do what they're told, and I think they go where in the direction that they're pointed in. Oh yeah, it's not a. It's not really a place that encourages a whole lot of no. unique thinking, and that's why Texas country artists they can't stand the Nashville guys because right. they feel like. It's all suit based, whereas the Texas guys they don't get on the radio much, but they're their own. Right. You know, they say what they want, they curse sure. in their songs, they tell real stories, they're real people. Whereas the Nashville people are kind of like Barbie and Ken dolls. Yeah. You know, a yeah. lot of way. It's cool though when you find someone in Nashville that is really authentic and they are able to, like an Eric Church, so, somebody who's not swallowed up by the yeah. the, the business aspect of yeah. that city. They're able to write their own songs. They're able to tell good stories. They're able to do good shows. Yeah. And Church, even, he does big production kind of he shows will, as yeah. well. Yeah, he will. He doesn't do tiny you know, acoustic guitar shows. He does arenas, and uh, he's maintained a lot of credibility over the years. So it just depends. you got to have the songs to back it up. Yes, you do. To do a big yeah, show. You so you know, guys like Garth Brooks, he's got a great catalog, but he does the biggest production show ever because he can, because sure. he's got a big personality. He's got great songs to back it up, and people will sit there all day and listen to him sing. So it feels. I think when you when you watch Garth and a spectacle like that, sort of around his songs, it feels really special. You and I are not Jason Aldean fans, so when you watch that spectacle playing out around the core of the show, which is his music, it feels what is it? Forced, the right word is gimmicky. The right word, yeah, I think they're uh, both good words for it. it. It feels glitzy. It's it, just too over the top, man. I mean, it's, it's like, way over the top. Because then, what's the big song he's going to go into after that? I mean, what? <laughs> All his songs are so surfacey that it's like there's nothing that can really move right. you <laughs> in that show. I mean, every song is about, hey, we're in a small town, we're having yeah, a party. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. that's it. That's I got his a truck. Whole, 
I got a truck going down the road, you know, and that's it. I like, I like, I like pretty girls. He's the stereotypical, you know, yeah, bottom of the barrel country guy. So he pins it lyrically. I, he, I, I find that he pins it right on the nose. Really does. He's not a metaphor guy. Not, not subtle. And I guess that's why we shouldn't expect subtlety in his production. Well, that's either. true too. So, you know what I mean? That's true too. So maybe it's true to form. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were talking about Bruce Springsteen a minute ago. Um, we're both huge fans. I mean, my God. I mean, we could we could spend another 50-some minutes talking about Bruce Springsteen. I will say that he is releasing— 50-some days probably talking about Springsteen. Well, yeah, for years. We, I will say that he is releasing an autobiography. Think about that for one second, wouldn't he? Bruce we, Springsteen releasing an autobiography, looking back on his career, okay? We never thought that was going to happen, right? I never, mean, I never, never thought, thought that was going to happen. Ne- it came out of nowhere. Apparently, he's been working on this since 2009. It comes out on September 27th, uh, right around the corner, and that just happens to be four days after his birthday. Uh, Clint, what is the uh, fast? What's the, the, the fastest that you've ever read a book, and how much quicker do you think you'll read this one? You know, I got to be honest. I think I will probably take a lot of time reading this one. I don't think I will. Uh, hey, you can always read it again. I, you can, and I probably will. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to rip through the Springsteen autobiography, yeah. Born to Run. I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to savor every mm-hmm. morsel of information that he's telling us. And I imagine this thing's going to be thick. I, I don't I, think I this think is going to so be. Too. I don't think this is going to be a flimsy little paperback. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's going to be heavy. I, I, I think aside from. Uh, everything else, uh, he certainly he certainly has a way with the English language. I'm not sure if you've ever written, or I'm sorry, if you've ever read anything that he has written. But he is he is a phenomenal writer. Just, yeah. I mean, he's a phenomenal songwriter. Yeah. But aside from that, he just hap- he happens to be a great writer. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. What do you hope he touches on? What do, you want to know? what do you want to know from Bruce in his autobiography? You know, I read the Peter Carlin book, and Carlin did a, a nice job. He told, there were a lot of anecdotes there. He interviewed a ton of people, ton of uh, different people who had known Bruce. Yeah. He interviewed Bruce for a long time right. uh, and had a lot of good quotes from him in that book. But he had the misfortune of that book came out like right before, or actually right after Clarence Clemens died. So he touches on Clemens' death just like it's a tacked on yeah. one little, you can tell the book was already done and he had to <laughs> get a quote on it and, and put it in. So I, I really want to hear Bruce talk about how that affected him and, and, I mean, this was his partner. This was the guy, aside from Van Zant, this is the guy that he shared more moments with on stage, more moments with writing songs than anyone. I mean, this was his. This was basically his his husband, pretty much right, in right. music. In, I mean, in, in, in on stage, Clemens was his main foil. Oh, it for wasn't, sure. It wasn't Van Zant. Yeah. you know, he worked with Van Zant off the stage. Off stage he worked yeah. with Van Zant uh, in the recording studio, but on stage, where everybody saw like, all those epic concerts, Clemens was. Clemens was his right hand man. So I really want to know if he gave any thought to like maybe we can't do the E Street Band anymore. Maybe we, how can we, how could we possibly replace him? I mean, that's what I really want to know. What was going through his mind during that? Because I have to imagine it was a horrible time uh, for Springsteen and for everybody around him. And I also want to hear. I'm like a big bummer on the stuff I want to hear about. I also want to hear about like the disappointments Bruce had in songs that he did record, but maybe he felt like. I never felt like that one was as good as it could go. And yeah. you know with Bruce, he's never satisfied with any, even the best recording ever, oh, he feels yeah. like could be better. So yeah. I think there'll be a lot of good, like, what could have been maybe kind of stuff in there. The, I the, hope so. The restless perfectionist. Yeah. You know. I want to hear about that. Right, right. I mean, just days like, you know, w- when he was recording Born, Born, 
to run or when he was recording Darkness on the Edge of Town or Nebraska. It just I, I look forward to his account of those of that process. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I because I imagine just somebody who is so consumed by uh, what's going on, the album in front of him that he's working on, that he's just zero dialed. I, I, I want to hear that. I want to yeah. hear how much is that the case? What are you doing? You know, are, are you even able to go get McDonald's? Or are you even able to go take a break? What you mean? Are you you're going home? Can you think of anything else? What are you doing? Are, are, how consumed are you by this stuff? And the other thing that that always fascinates me, I'm always fascinated by what could have been. Yeah. Uh, alternative paths, you know. And I'll give you an, an example. I know that he was close but did not release an album, I want to say, in 94. He had it prepared. As a matter of fact, it may have been sent to the record company, but it, but he did not release it. Um, uh, Secret Garden, I think, would have been on that album. And Great from, song. Yeah, from what I understand, that was sort of within, sonically, within, you know, in step with the rest of that record. So it would have been synthy. Um, lyrically, you know, I think it would have focused on domestic uh, relationships, maybe the breakdown of, of domestic I would have loved to have heard that record. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in hearing more about, about um, you know, things like that. What, what, what could have been? Both of us, I think, are really looking forward to reading about the 90s because I, I yeah. think that's the most enigmatic time for Springsteen's. Really, like, from Tunnel of Love on until about the Rising, it's like that whole time period right. is so enigmatic and he was so closed off i feel like even from his best friends i mean he dissolves the e street band he goes away of you course know, we want to know how own. that happened oh, of course now, are you we kidding want me i mean yeah how that decision was made the way that people were notified i mean it's going to break my heart yeah if if an agent or a rep from columbia calls the band Called, yeah I, you know i mean oh, i God. would have to imagine that yeah. he would touch base with the band but anyway You'd like to think so, but it would you know, break my heart. But anyway, but yeah, I, I want to hear about those 1990s years, and because that's the time that is the least documented. I feel like of Springsteen's entire career. Yeah, we know all about the 70s. We know all about the mid 80s, even right. the early 80s. They've made two documentaries already now about his, right, right. you know, darkness <laughs> on the edge of town and the river, right. and we know all about him post rising. Uh, but really, I, I want to hear about those 90s years because those still seem like an uncovered. Kind of treasured. First time he ever got bad, you know, criticism. Right. Yeah. First, first time, time he, he ever got criticism. First time really. he ever I mean, got criticism yeah. that wasn't glowing. I mean, right. that's the, that that was the first time for him. I mean, in, in it, twenty it, years of recording, it, he it, never yeah. had a bad word. And right. So how did he take that? You right. know, did he care? Did he? I have to imagine it got to him a little bit. So sure. I want to hear about it, that. So I, I can't I, wait for the book. And it's I love a lot awesome. of those songs. I love a lot of those songs more than the, the the songs that ended up on actual albums. You know, there are some outtakes there that are that are five star recordings. I mean, they're tremendous, yeah. tremendous songs. Yet they're not the ones that he that he put out at that point. You know, yeah. and that just that that fascinates me. I mean, how how that this, again how those decisions are made fascinates me. But I love a lot of that music. I'll give you a for instance when my wife and I got married. Our first dance was to one of Springsteen's songs in the '90s. You know, it was a song called "Happy." And that's, oh yeah. yeah, that was recorded in the in the early '90s. Um, yeah, it's just just God. There were so many periods though within that career. There are so many. I mean, look, you could write a book about his tours. You could write a book about his first ten years or his last. 
10 years or whatever. But it's all so productive and there's so much that happens. There's so much ground to cover uh, for him to walk a reader through that. Yeah, is, is it's just I mean, I'm excited for the book and I can't wait for the uh, audiobook version. Right. I hope Bruce yeah. reads it. You know, I want to yeah. hear I want to hear him read the unabridged full yeah. version. That would be that'll be that'll be fascinating right. to hear. So. Right. Yeah, so uh, I know I can't wait for the book. Obviously, you can't wait for the book. I think so. it's going to be solid. Definitely. We're going to move on. Here are this week's Bombs of the Week. All right, the first song that we're going to discuss, and these are songs that, by and large, you don't want to be associated with. Let's face it, people are going to think less of you. Uh, the first on this list, Let Me Love You, by DJ Snake featuring Justin Bieber. Don't you give up, nah, nah, nah. I will give up, nah. You know, I may have heard it, but I really honestly can't say if I've heard it or not. <laughs> it's one of those. That, it's probably been on the background somewhere at a store I was at, it's, but I don't know it. It's pretty sterile. Uh, yeah. It, it, quite the summit meeting between two artists, really. <laughs> and I'm still not sure I understand Justin Bieber's appeal. Was it DJ Snake? DJ Snake. Yeah. How was that name not already taken? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it doesn't seem like somebody would have been called DJ Snake. <laughs> Over the years. <laughs> Jesus. Moving on. Second, Don't Let Me Down. Shane Smokers featuring Dea. And still, I know I talked about this in a, in a previous show, but Dea, when I hear Dea, she sounds like she is copying Rihanna's vocal. Does she not? Yeah, even though she grew up in Pittsburgh. She grew up in it's Pittsburgh. Kinda hard to, it's kind of hard to have a, like, is it Barbadian? Is Barbadian, that the word? Barbadian, I, I think. The I, Barbadian accent Barbadian in Pittsburgh. Barbadian accent in, in the Steel You know, City. I actually kind of like this song, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you on the bomb right. here. I hear The only knock on it is that I hear it all the time. But I do kind of, it's one of those that when I have the radio on scan and it comes up, I, I always stop it because I like to hear it. It's not too processed for you? It's a little too processed for my taste. Yeah, I'll give you that. But it's, you know, it's catchy. It's, it's fine. How about this one? I never did like this song. Never could stand it. Barracuda by Heart. I don't get your take. I don't get the appeal of Barracuda either. I, what the hell are they? Are they talking about a fish? Is it just the fish? Is it just a badass fish? Is a that, fish and a, it's got a guitar. I'm sure riff. it's a metaphor for something, a heartbreaker. You know, I don't know, but it's got that riff. Let's not, let's not, let's not, uh, uh, you know, pretend it's anything else. The song was a hit because of that riff and because of the way they said Barracuda, the word Barracuda. Heart had so many better songs though than Barracuda, but that's the one that like still always gets played. Like yeah. I'd rather hear Magic Man than I would Barracuda, even yeah. though Magic Man's no, I mean, it's no Born to Run itself, but I never, never understood that song's appeal. I guess, is it just the riff? It's is the that, riff. Is that, that's it? It's all about the riff. It's a low bar. Is the that Wilson, all you need, just the and, riff? And the Wilson sisters were badasses, so yeah, I mean, they were pretty yeah. cool, but. Yeah. They're fun to root for. Yeah. All right, I think we're going to disagree on this next one, but the next bomb is a song by Queen. It's called Flash. Flash! And, you know, again, this to me... This is not a bomb. This is a bomb. This to me is... (laughs) Is too campy. They're going. They're, they overdid it, Clint. They're, 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 That's the point. Listen, what, have you they, ever listened to a? Queen, they're redlining with the camp. Have Clint? you ever listened to a single Queen song and thought 
you know, this wasn't over the top. Even, Every song they ever cut was over the top. That's even, their whole MO. Even by Queen standards. This song is obnoxious. No. It's obnoxious. I could listen to Flash all day. I love Flash. Good song. Maybe not all day, but I could listen listen to it a couple times in a row. And the movie's cool, too, man. I love the Flash Gordon movie. It's awesome. Cheesy costumes, horrible story, wooden acting. Get me good away stuff. from it. I just no, it's too much. I told you they're redlining. Next, moving on. I think we'll agree on this. Again, this is from uh, uh, the classic rock era, so to speak. The song sucks. It's "Keep On Loving You" by Ario Speedwagon. And we we were talking about Jason Aldean, how he just. Pins it right on the nose for the for the listener. This song, oh my God, talk about pinning it right on the nose. This is <laughs> REO Speedwagon were not known for their subtlety. No. And when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, I thought they were called Rio Speedwagon, which I think a lot of people did. <laughs> yeah, you know, I re- my mom had like the CD in the stack, with and that. I was yeah. like Rio Speedwagon, yeah. you know. But yeah, no, this was they're not a subtle group, and this is not. This isn't uh, uh, classical. I mean, this isn't no, this anything is... that a, a thinking man's going to be listening to, but, but, but it's same, a guilty pleasure kind of thing, at right? At the same time, it's so just like, it's not rugged. It's so smooth. It's the, very the smooth. The recording is so, there are no rough edges on the recording, yeah. and I feel like the bluntness, with you know, the, the blunt nature of the lyric it it just it just doesn't you know the lyric is blunt the recording is smooth i'm not saying they have to follow suit but it doesn't work it doesn't work yeah i agree all right on the other hand those are the bombs now we want to introduce you to perhaps introduce you reintroduce you reacquaint you uh with a few songs that ought to go on your stream police playlist as you know friends we are building the perfect playlist here are five more to add to said playlist. First is Joe's Garage by Frank Zappa. We could jam in Joe's Garage. His mama was screaming and his dad was mad. We were playing the same old song in the afternoon. And sometimes we would play it all night long. It was all we knew and easy to so we wouldn't get it wrong. An incredible recording, an incredible record, a concept record of the highest order. I mean, you're talking about a three-disc rock opera. It's one story. I mean, <laughs> yeah. another guy who was not subtle was Zappa. I'm a big Zappa fan, yeah. love Zappa. I, I, Joe's been, Garage is good, though. Yeah, Frank Zappa was, was a, an artist that I overlooked for a lot of years. I was familiar with his reputation, and I was familiar with his output. The guy released so much music. Unbelievable. Um, But I didn't really know it uh, for myself, so I've been sort of going through the Frank Zappa catalog, and Joe's Garage is one of my, I just, I love the song. Another song called Dirty Love. You ever heard Dirty Love? Oh, Dirty Love's fantastic. Dude, Dirty Love, I love Dirty Love. Give me your Dirty Love. Yeah, the the highs with Zappa are very high, and the lows are very low. He was very inconsistent, but. Right, that's because you freaking released everything, you know, he ever did almost, seems like. And after he died, the family has kept putting stuff out. Yeah, I guess, yeah, they're still putting stuff out, but God, the guy would just release stuff like, like, Nobody's business. Uh, second, Roundabout Midnight this is by Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. 
Now I know this is uh, this holds a special place in your heart as well, my friend. This is almost it's almost like two separate songs uh, put together, and it works. Really is. It's a great album opener, Round Midnight. That's one of those records I go back to all the time. Uh, Miles had a great band put together uh, when he did that album, and it's just it, it sums up what was so great about Miles. It's just a cool song, cool record. Next song by Dean Martin. This is called Hey Brother, Pour the Wine. Here we sit and join the shade. Hey Brother, Pour the Wine. Drink the drink that I have made. Hey Brother, Pour the Wine. Tell you why the day is sunny I'm in love with lips of honey Will you see the way she walks Hey brother, pour the wine And I love this song because in it, the narrator at first He's drinking because he found the girl in celebration But by the end of the song, he's drinking because he lost the girl I don't know this one, I'm going to have to check this one out (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of, it's cool it's just, and Dean Martin is so charismatic. Oh, for sure. I mean, come on. This Great storyteller. Yeah. yeah. He's one of the best. Gotta like Dino. Uh, second, we, or, uh, next, we've got Castles Made of Sand. This is by Jimi Hendrix. Down the street, you can hear her scream, you're a disgrace. And she slams the door in a drunken face. And now it stands outside. And all the neighbors start to gossip and drool. And I was reading that this song... Actually, uh, Hendrix considered it one of the most personal songs he he ever wrote. It's another good one. Good pick. Uh, Finally, this is uh, number five, Dion. A song by Dion of Dion and the Belmonts. Dion DiMucci, a song called I Put Away My Idols. I was raised on New York rock and roll. I took control. I was cool. Made the rounds, made the record hops. I hit the top. A lot of people don't know this, but Dion, like Bob Dylan, had a born again period, uh, and it occurred. Never heard that. Yeah, it occurred about ten years after Dylan's. I think Dylan started what in the mid seventies. Uh, uh, Dion DiMucci, Dylan made it cool to be born again or late seventies. Uh, I guess. Yeah, it was the late seventies <laughs> yeah. uh, when Slow Train Coming was released. Yeah. Um, but uh, but Dion DiMucci had a born again period in the eighties, and he released a string of. Uh, evangelical albums, and this is one of them. It's a title cut. I put away my idols. And um, there's just something about hearing these guys tackle that topic because they do it in their own language. They do it in a language that, uh, that, 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 is, <laughs> that you're familiar with. It's, it's religion within the rock context. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's interesting for sure, and uh, I've never heard this one, so another one that uh, I'll check out for the first time. Because we've never done the show together before, I'm going to throw in one more. Uh, this is by Robert Cray. Uh, it is called Right Next Door. Of me. 
Okay, so in the song, you kind of got a feel for it there. The narrator uh, meets a woman who lives next door. She is married. She has an affair with the narrator. And because he lives right next door, he's able to overhear it uh, when her husband finally comes home and uh, and she confronts him uh, with the news, or rather he confronts her with the news. But regardless, uh, he's hearing this conversation through the walls because he just happens to live right next door. And it's really, uh, it's, uh, it's tough, uh, it's tough, uh, it's, it's t- tough subject matter, For I sure, guess. Yeah, you know? it's a- <laughs> it's, uh, and Robert Cray, it's that perfect blend of blues and R&B. He uses a cool horn artist. section so much. Uh, I, I love his stuff. His vocal, his singing is incredible. He's got such a way uh, with phrasing. So Robert Robert Cray, I've I've really gotten into recently. You got so you did six this week, right? I did six. You got this three week. three yes. out of six by me this week. I hadn't heard three of those. Yeah. So that's pretty. Yeah. You're going deep on right. some of these. All right, man. Cool. So yeah, like he said, the uh, perfect stream police playlist. And actually, we have made that that playlist is up at Spotify. I keep adding to it every time, but sometimes you pick songs that aren't even on Spotify, <laughs> so it doesn't have every right. song you've ever picked. Most, but it's got most of them. Most of them. I think only the about majority. ten or so yeah, are the missing. Vast majority. Yeah, not many, but for those ones that are missing, you can find them. I'm sure on iTunes or. Go Absolutely. To your, go yep. to your local record shop. There you Come go. Hit them They're up. all out there. Or somewhere. your local public library. Come on, Track they got them down. Too. Yeah, let's hear it for the public library. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess uh, we'll pack it up for the day then. That's it, Holmes. It's a good time uh, sitting here talking with you, man. It's been a while since we sat behind a couple mics together. <laughs> it has been a long time. Uh, way too long. We're gonna we're gonna have to do this again. Let's do this again for sure. If uh, the library will let us back in. Yeah, I don't know. They're 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 knocking on the doors right now. I think they're they're trying to uh, they're trying to usher us out. They're trying to get us get out of here. We've been cussing too much, so the old lady's definitely looking at us now. Right. All right. Well, I'm Clint Davis, the movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. I'm Andy Sedlak, the music editor over at OverdueReview.com. Check us out on Facebook, on Twitter at Overdue underscore Review, and uh, you can email me at theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com, and you want to give them your email? Yeah, Andy? if you want to shoot me an email, uh, I'm at sedlakjournal at gmail.com. I'm going to spell it for you. It's S-E-D-L-A-K, the word journal all squished together, at gmail.com. And look us up, tag whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll talk uh, music, movies, TV, uh, even when we're not doing the show. It's what we love, man. All right. Well, hey, thank you very much for listening. And uh, I want to thank ACAST again and thank the people at the Cincinnati Public Library for having us in and to record in this uh, nice little studio here. So I'm sure we'll be back again. Yeah, it's not bad. We'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Until then, stream on, my friends. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.